Welcome to Write Now with Scrivener, where writers talk about how they work, how they develop their ideas, and how they use Scrivener, the app built for long-form writing projects. I'm your host, Kirk McElhern, author of Take Control of Scrivener. Today I'm happy to welcome William Gallagher. William is a journalist, novelist, screenwriter. He's written radio plays, hundreds of articles for various media. You've written almost everything. William, thanks for joining me. No, thank you. Well, until you said all that and made me feel old, I was going to say thank you for having me on. It's a treat to talk about Scrivener. So you're in the UK. You're not far from me. You're in Birmingham. I'm looking at your website. You have been deputy chair of the Writers Guild of Great Britain. You've written Doctor Who radio plays. You've written novels and, and stage plays. Is there anything you haven't written yet? Uh, well, it's strange that you should ask right now. Uh, my first thought was I've never written a musical, but I have just written a play that includes this massive musical sequence at the end, and I'm really hoping that it makes sense for it. But yeah, so as yet, no, but maybe soon, musicals. <laughs> So you've been writing for a long time. You've got a YouTube channel. We'll link to all this in the show notes. How long have you been using Scrivener? I've been trying to work this out because it's a considerable amount of time. But what I tend to do is I go in phases depending on the project. Is it? I mean, I love the iPad version of Scrivener. Uh, since that came out, I've been using that the most and the most constantly. But I was obviously using Scrivener before then. Is it possible I've been using it for 10 years could it be that long? It was first released in 2007, so we're more than 15 years on. What did I do for the first five years? Why didn't I find it? <laughs> it's, it's true. So before we talk about Scrivener in the second part, let's talk about your work. This is the first time I've got a guest on the podcast who has written scripts, and you've written plays, and you've written radio plays. And so you're obviously using Scrivener in screenwriting mode, which is different. How do you approach a script? What's the mindset that's different from writing fiction? Oh, you see, to me, I don't see it. I, I, I identify as a scriptwriter. That's how I put it. Whatever I'm writing, uh, I think of it as dialogue. So even my factual articles, I don't want to say they're chatty in an informal way, but they flow. You can read them. I, I'm deeply proud of the fact that so many times actors have told me my lines are easy to learn because they're just somehow right. It's what the character would say. You'd think it would be normal, but it's, they find it exceptional. And, and I am I'm so big-headed when they say things like that. But all of my... I think in characters and uh, through dialogue more than anything else. I mean, if I don't believe the dialogue in a character, I don't believe the character. And if I don't believe the character, then I don't care about them. So it has to come from that way, even whether it's uh, prose. Or, and obviously with scripts, that's what you deal with first um, so yeah it's the same muscle in my head and I'm you're I feel like you're really putting me on the spot with this I I know I I was friends with Alan Plater the British screenwriter and he said once somewhere that there, there comes a time in a script when you're not writing it you've just got the two characters standing behind you arguing and you're busy writing down what they say and it hasn't happened very often but that's the goal, and every now and again you get it, and it's just bliss when it does. When you're writing fiction, you're thinking about everything that goes around the dialogue. You're thinking about descriptions. You're thinking about feelings and atmospheres. So how is that different when you're writing a script? And you can basically drop away all of that. You can, except there are, I mean, I read a script every day, I, mostly for fun, really, but I've been doing it for, I've read scripts all my life, but I read one script a day regardless, and I learn from it, particularly from what I think are bad scripts, which 
try not to get rid of that stuff. They tr they overload it with details and descriptions. And there are times when I've just given up reading them, as actors and directors do sometimes. Um, and yet, actually, if you are writing your dialogue just so, you can convey the picture you want. Um, I remember uh, I've interviewed various actors for different things. Uh, James Bolan is incredibly well known in the UK, maybe not so elsewhere, but he told me that he never ever even looks at the, you know when you have in brackets, um, uh, the character name brackets laughing, well he doesn't even look at the laughing bit, he goes only with the words, he sees his job as making those words work, and I think he's actually right, you can, with drama it's a collaboration, so you're working with actors, you're working with directors and things, but the truth is you can't, you do want them to do it your way, so there are just ways of doing the smallest little description that gets through the thing you want. Uh, I'm, uh, it's too long an example to go through, but when I, I work with people on this, the bad way is to say something like um, exterior high street, day, medium close up, uh, Paul, the character, is walking down the street left to right, goes between cars, close up, angry face, side, and all that sort of stuff. And a good scriptwriter will say exterior high street, day, Paul is walking down a busy street. And it does actually exactly the same thing. The image you have created. Uh, you have to hang on to what really matters. If something is urgent, if he has to pass a yellow car, you say yellow car. But other than that, you just... It's weird. It's like I, I believe the images in my head are the images that then the directors and the actors get. But in my very first Doctor Who uh, for Big Finish on the BBC, as uh, so actor, writer called John Dorney, who just decided to play one of my characters with a Cockney accent. I mean, really over-the-top, heavy Cockney. And I was talking to him in the studio about it and saying, it's, it's, it's very Cockney, isn't it? And he said, yes. Okay. <laughs> and yet, even though... I, I, I now cannot tell you what I believe that character would sound like. His version erased it from my head because he got it. He was right. And then uh, shortly after a theatre play, the director called Polly Tisdale, I was sitting there talking with the actors. And my job in that position was just, they were first doing their read-through, they were first getting the material. I, was, I wasn't there to contribute, I was there to be consulted if necessary. And I was listening to them and they found this subtext in the play and I thought, yes, it works, got it. And then they found a sub-subtext that I hadn't even realised I'd put in there. And all I could say was, oh, uh, well done, you spotted that. Um. <laughs> well, to, to quote Shakespeare, dialogue should go trippingly on the tongue, right? And the thing about dialogue to make it sound real is it has to, as you say, sound like what people say. If you go back to, I don't know, crime fiction of the 1930s in the US, this dialogue, no one ever spoke like that. Even if they do in movies of the time, it just sounds so wrong. But then again, that was a style of the times if you go back to dialogue in dickens it was very stylized as well it works though if you see some uh dramatizations of uh well there was a jane austen radio 4 version of pride and prejudice i love that book and i was working for radio times at the time and i was assigned to review it walking along listening to this adaptation on my headphones and the narrate i hate narrators but there was a narrator and she said something and i thought ow that is so modern. That's wrong. We'll go back my paperback copy of the book and it was verbatim Jane Austen from 200 years ago. Uh, to be able to write like Jane Austen. 
How did she manage without scrivener? It's impossible. But, <laughs> well, she yeah. she she was a yeah. scrivener in the true sense of the word, writing with a quill pen. Oh, very yep. good. Yes, yep. she was. <laughs> so I kind of like what you say about using that same dialogue approach to nonfiction writing. And I know when I write articles, I'm constantly thinking of what what is the arc in a paragraph? Is it flowing or is the reader going to hit a wall someplace and not be able to go on because something is just strange? Yes. Uh, I, talk, I think in terms of bridges between paragraphs, what makes you flow? I cannot abide, um, you know, uh, 60 seconds with Benedict Cumberbatch that's just para, 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 and it's very, very staccato. I like a read-through article, and I particularly detest when you're reading an article and the, the writer someone says, so, why should you use Scrivener? And they go off something else. And you're like, right, they couldn't make the bridge. They couldn't take us on that journey. Um, and I, I actually tend to stop reading like that, which is terrible. I, mean, I, I, I do want to say, I, I'm, I know that my style now is, is quite chatty. I'm, I'm cautious of that word, but I know it. When I started out, I was very proud of the fact that I thought I could adapt to any house style. Um, Gaiman was on Radio Times, but on their website, their big brother correspondent, or whatever you call them, was ill one day, and I was the only writer available. I didn't happen to watch Big Brother, don't happen to like it, but my job that day was to sound like I did, to look at the show, to find something useful and interesting to people who did watch it and write that. And I was so proud of the fact that for weeks afterwards, friends around the BBC would phone me up saying, I thought you didn't like Big Brother. <laughs> done it. And now I can't do it. I do this thing for the Writers Guild that originally I didn't, it was uh, anonymous, didn't need a name on it, uh, until people kept just assuming it was me because it sounded like me. And now I'm kind of proud of that. But, you know, why can't I have both? Why can't I well, you're, you're an interesting case here because most of the guests I've had on the show have written novels or they've written biographies and they're really only in one field. Some of them do some journalism, some of them do some short stories, but you're covering a wide palette of different types of writing. Do you find that they all fit together or are you thinking differently for each one? I mean, you, you just said that you see articles as like a kind of dialogue, but does it all kind of fit into your style of writing, all of these different types? The nice, it's a nice way of putting it. And I think I would like to say yes. There's also part of me that thinks, am I just not any good at any of them that I have to keep doing all these different things? Uh, but yes, overall, uh, my thinking, I have this thing that uh, I, I, I used to believe so much more strongly than I do now, but if you have an idea for a radio play, it belongs as a radio play. If you have an idea for an article, it belongs as an article. And you can't contort them between the two. And recently I've had a project where I've had to, and I actually thought the contorted version ended up better. But there's something inherent in the medium and the form is part of the idea to me. Um, I I don't think what short story can I write? It's this is just right for a short story. I, you're actually, you're based around Stratford, wouldn't you? And I'm trying, I've blanked on it. There's a small little village just outside Stratford where I was hired uh, to write a short story for a book group there. And the job was you turn up and they told you that they like, well, I can't remember the examples, but they like maybe crime fiction. They like this thing. And they tell me something of the history. But all the way through this really nice evening with them, I could not get out of the fact that there was another book group in the same village. What if they were rivals? <laughs> and so I was commissioned for this, and I've got to write this story. And in it, this, this other one, uh, I sat down on my couch with Scrivener, and it, my hands shook 
as this story came out to me. And by a weird fluke, I was about a month early with the deadline, so I thought, well, I'll just send them that anyway, and then I'll get on with the proper one. And they loved that proper one. And in the end, that was the one that was printed in the book. And absurdly, the leader of the book group is so proud that she's in it, even though in my version, she's a murderer. So... <laughs> You know. Oh, people like that. They 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 live vicariously through that. They may have dreams of being a murderer. Did you see, by the way, some yeah. woman who wrote a book, How to Murder Your Husband, was just convicted for murdering her husband in the U.S.? No. You can't make that up, right? <laughs> okay. Right. I'm really thrown by that. So you mentioned Stratford. I, I live just outside of Stratford-upon-Avon. And before the show, you were talking about television history. Did you know that... The Teletubbies was filmed here and was inspired by a village called Wimpstone. It's a few miles I away. I did not. Is that, is that where, why the sunshine is? Every time I go to Stratford, it's sunny. Is that why? It's the same sun with the baby face? No, it's the particular hills in this village that are, I think, six or eight miles south of Stratford. Oh, that's great. So that, that won't interest everyone, but you as someone interested in television history will find that. Yes. You'll find that to be something you might want to follow up on. You bet. Thank you. That, oh, that's such, I love the trivia of this stuff. I mean, I used to work in television. Television Centre and they knocked it down. I worked at BBC Woodlands and they knocked it down. Here in Birmingham we had Pebble Mill and they knocked it down. Maybe it's me. Anyway, uh, but in each <laughs> of these places, I, I, I ended up in their archives and the joy of this material that's out there. I remember so vividly being in, uh, actually not in there, I was in Birmingham Central Library as it was then, looking at old Radio Times, trying to look up um, uh, the glittering prizes from 76, 77 famous drama for all sorts of reasons but as I was going through it turn the page and on the same day Kizzy started a children's series that I read and I was right back at school watching it so in fact I wrote about Kizzy instead of that of the show okay let's take a break when we come back we'll talk about how you use Scrivener okay writing a book screenplay or even a long article was a juggling act you need to find the right words and the right structure keep track of research, and refer to notes. Tailor-made for long writing projects, Scrivener is the go-to app for writers of all types. Scrivener combines a typewriter, binder, and corkboard in a single app. A project outline makes it easy to get an overview of your work and flip between sections. Refer to research alongside your writing and just drag and drop to rearrange your work. Write in any order in sections as large or small as you like and let Scrivener stitch it all together when you're ready to share your words with the world. With Scrivener, you'll find everything you need to start writing and keep writing. Scrivener is available for Mac, Windows, iPad, and iPhone. Download the free trial from ScrivenerApp.com. Right now with Scrivener listeners can get a 20% discount with the coupon code PODCAST. That's ScrivenerApp.com. Okay, so you've written all these different things, and since about 2010, you've written with Scrivener. How do you use Scrivener? Obviously, when you're writing a screenplay, that's using a different mode of using Scrivener. But do you write all of these different types of works in the same way in Scrivener? Uh, I do vary a lot. I use a lot of different writing apps. There are just certain things that feel right in Scrivener. And Often, actually, scripts don't because I know I'm going to have to hand them on to somebody. Um, with uh, Doctor Who and Big Finish, for example, they have a very particular format. They need it in Word, but so you write it in Scrivener and just export it as Word. 
I do. I actually remember um, looking into Scrivener's. I'd used Scrivener for a long, couple of years before I even knew there was a script section. And then when I looked into it, I can't remember if it was on the Scrivener website or somebody told me this directly, but I was, I remember having the impression that the official line with Scrivener is, this is a good script writing mode for like your first draft, but after that you should take it on to Finder. I think that's selling it short. I think it's really strong in there. It's just in my mind, Scrivener is for longer articles. Like I wrote 150,000 words non-fiction book about Blake Seven. And I did it in Scrivener because uh, I think there was something like 40 interviews I had to do. And there were all people's availability. It was all over the place. I was terrified of introducing somebody twice mm. for it. So could I just see chapter three and chapter 29 together and just see how I did it? And that's Scrivener, isn't it? I mean, trying to do that in Word. It's just ridiculous. It's scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Yeah, and my mind wanders and I see something else I want to change and I lose track yeah. of the whole thing. So that slicing and dicing of Scrivener is gold. Uh, at this very moment, um, I have a book of short stories coming out next year from Fairacre Press. Uh, my agent has been pressing me uh, to not let that happen yet and instead bring out a novel first on the same kind of theme which makes absolute sense and i wrote a hundred thousand word novel uh the trouble is it's absolutely awful it's just dreadful <laughs> so bad i walked away from it for a year came back going through the scrivener file and actually this it's like one whole theme one whole vitally important structure that is appallingly bad but the rest of it I was quite enjoying. So right now I'm going through Scrivener, hiding bits I don't like, tagging other stuff, just trying to see what can I make of what's left there. And again, the idea of trying to do that in Microsoft Word, really? No. <laughs> no, life's too short. Do, <laughs> do you use Scrivener's research folder a lot? Yes, very much. The ability to drag things in, and particularly because I've realised um, I... <sighs> I tend to assign projects to certain machines, like um, uh, the screen on the iPad at the moment has uh, the, the draft of the 100,000 word novel. I mean, I'm sitting at my Mac talking to you. It's obviously on here as well, but in my head, it's on the iPad. So I will turn to that. And the fact that I can at any point drag in an earlier draft, a link to something about it, and just know that it's always there. Well, know that it's always there if I remember to sync and exit properly. Right. It's like that. But yes, that ability to just just drag it down into the research area if you're not thinking about it, or into a draft area, add in this totally different version that you don't want to lose, but you want to keep. It's, um, yeah, it's uh, the binder part is a surprising revelation to me even now after all these years i will think i need to do this oh yeah i can just do that it's right there yeah, yeah. yeah. working on the ipad is interesting because while you can use composition mode on the mac to have just one big scrivener window there's something about working on the ipad where that's all you see and it's a lot more difficult to switch away that is interesting for productivity for many people. It is. I mean, I, I actually have done workshops on productivity for writers because as a species, we're dreadful. And I don't tend to do a lot of technology stuff in them, but I find for me, the ability to just get on with this focus mode now, airplane mode, and which is fine for everything outside the thing you're writing. It gets rid of interruptions. But even in the thing you're writing, I have so many drafts of different things in Scrivener, I could just nip off to change that. Whereas it, on the screen, 
even hide the binder, just have what I'm writing right now. Uh, it's weirdly relaxing, actually. Mm, I find it, it lifting. Is. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about more of your work. I find it interesting that you've written a number of Doctor Who radio plays. Now, I'm not a fan. It just doesn't work for me. But this is hugely popular in the UK, and it's relatively popular in the US. What's it like to have to adapt to an existing universe and create something that doesn't that doesn't fork the universe in any way. Well, uh, Doctor Who allows for a lot of uh, forking. Um, I remember at one point we worked out, well, we, Doctor Who fans, one of us, the internet, basically, we worked out that Atlantis <laughs> has been destroyed, is it six different times in Doctor Who? Totally different ways. It's kind of, and every now and again, they'll do something that kind of resets everything and you're fine. Uh, I wouldn't ever go into a story deliberately wanting to contradict something. Um, that that just feels wrong as a viewer, as a listener. Uh, but the joy of having these existing characters and then your own. I Sometimes I'm more interested in my own characters than theirs. What tends to happen is that you pitch a story, and it's been a while now. It's very, very difficult for me to get a story in because just thinking of them is so hard. But you get an idea, you pitch it, uh, you do a one-liner um, to them, and they come back saying, now nah, we've got seven in a desert. Don't want any more of those. Um, except once, I do remember, I was so, so certain the idea was right that I just went straight to the next step, which is a one-page outline of the story. And they emailed back, my uh, script editor, Alan Barnes, emailed back in seconds saying, we love this idea so much, we did it 15 years ago. <laughs> and I looked it up, and the title of that other one was one word different to mine. And that's uh, trying to find something new in Doctor Who is very hard. Um, but then when you do, uh, you have a Doctor, you have a companion, and, and everybody knows them. You've got to get those right. But everything else is yours. So in a way, it feels quite free. Get the Doctor somewhere, and then it's all yours. Um, don't worry too much about what comes before or after in Doctor Who history. It's uh, uh, The TARDIS is a vehicle for getting you into trouble, and trouble is what I think drama is about. So I'm... Very happy doing this. Love them. Do they give you a Doctor Who Bible? No. Oh, they don't have one. So a Bible for a TV series is usually everything that's happened to the characters, the the, the secondary characters and all that, so you can maintain continuity. Yeah, right. Doctor Who's been running since 1963. A Bible would be impossible. Um, I worked on Crossroads, a TV series uh, here until I was fired off it, um, and they had a Bible, and it was the first run uh, it was a reborn series, so there had been a history before, but it was a new series. The Bible was a little ream of paper. I can't conceive yeah. what it was like for Doctor I should say, by the way, I was fired over the phone from them, but a friend of mine, um, we've become friends since, I didn't know him then, he was in a story conference in the studios at ITV, went out to the loo, producer came in after him and said, don't bother coming back. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah. Drama's not all good, is it? <laughs> no, the the TV and film industry is pretty cutthroat like that. Yeah, but it's so good, and drama is so great at the moment. How can you resist? Okay, so what are the best TV drama series that you know in the moment? I, I'm curious oh. because, I, you know, we people talk about a golden age of television that started, I guess, roughly with West Wing and went on for about 10 years, and it, it's almost like we're living in another golden age. Name a few of your favourite series right now. Oh, okay. Right now, what I'm, I'm, I'm surprised to say how much I'm really enjoying all the Star Trek series now. I mean, there seem to be so many of them, but they are 
very rich and interesting. I used to be a TV reviewer on BBC CFAX around, I ended around 99 or 2000. And I remember thinking at that point, television got dramatically better when I stopped having to watch it. <laughs> but that's mostly because you didn't have to watch to the end. If you didn't like it, you went off. Um, I still find, actually, there are shows around that period are a little later. Veronica Mars is a little later, and I still go back to that as the finest detective series ever. If I could have written a character, I could have created one character, had to be Veronica Mars. In fact, I named a character in Doctor Who after her, and you're the first person I've admitted that to, so... Just between us, okay. Right now, um, funny enough, I'm re-watching uh, The Good Place. Um, uh, my wife and I have just finished re-watching Ellery Queen from the 1970s or so. That's not even on now, yeah. is it? That's close. Severance was deep. And, oh, um, Slow Horses. I actually I had a meeting with a TV company last year who mentioned... They were making this thing called Slow Horses uh, based on Mick Heron's novels. So I thought, well, you know... I want to keep the meetings going. I'll just, you know, do my research here. I went off and read the book and I so enjoyed it. I read the next one and the next, and I've now read eight of them for it. And uh, Apple's just commissioned a third and fourth series yeah. of that. So I'm looking forward to seeing that coming back. So Slow Horses is on Apple TV Plus and so is Severance. Oh, yes, so it is. Isn't that weird? I remember when Apple's TV Plus started, I thought, no. But now every now and again, there's something special that comes up. Well, one of the best series I find these days is Succession. Oh, I still haven't seen that. Yeah. Oh, you have to watch it. It's a combination of drama and comedy about ridiculous people. But the writing is, you know, sometimes you hear television writing, West Wing for me is a prime example, where every line just fits and every line has details that are important three episodes later. So Succession is really wonderful for that. There's a musicality to Aaron Sorkin's West Wing writing, which is superb. I have a problem that every show is the same from him now. Every yeah. Aaron Sorkin show is the same. Yeah, yeah, which is difficult. But when it's right, it's right. And I remember uh, Martin Sheen talking about, he said he was the last one of the cast to get this, that you had to say the words exactly right, because if you did, the musical score worked. Um, and yeah, I can see that. I know actors who go around the hills and kind of roughly do it. And then you get others that are wedded to... There's a, I, I, I shouldn't say this, but this, the writer I dislike at the moment is uh, David Hare, infinitely famous for stage plays. He's doing a lot of television, but his dialogue is... I Maybe being nice, it's stagey, but I was watching a scene with John Sim and I didn't believe him. I think, if I don't believe John Sim as a character... But then Carrie Mulligan was in the same show, and I did believe her. I always think she's a very impressive actor, but after that, I'm an absolute fan. She sold the most difficult lines for it. And, yeah, I'm, writers are supposed to not like actors, because actors always thank directors and ignore us, which I kind of <laughs> understand, actually, because the writers have moved on by the time the show's been recorded. But... Um, and, yeah, actors who say they invented their own characters, which drives me spare. But fortunately, I know plenty of actors. It drives them spare as well for it. But, yeah, it, it's working together in collaboration in a good way, except when, as you say, throats are cut at times. <laughs> this sounds terrible. Well, what is, the, what is the collaboration when you're writing for a TV show, for example? You write it, give it to the director. Are you on set to work with revising the script? In real time? I, I don't have enough uh, experience to know uh, about that. Um, directly, I know from working with other writers uh, who've done this, with me, most of the time, most of the time it's you write the script, you hand it off. And yes, you work with script editors and directors, but by the time it gets to the cast, 
it's kind of set and also filming time studio time is so expensive it's get on with it mm. and do it but i did just have a project that actually ended disastrously um but one of the gorgeous parts of it was um uh, i had an actor to, to tell the story the actor had to be playing herself um so i would always talk to an actor about how something sounded but because it had to be her had to be her voice i mean sitting right now where i am i had a six hour phone call with her going every syllable of a 45 minute script and things and then it was i mean it was intense uh but the level of care and the deep desire to get it right we shared that all the way along and that was that was blissful and you compare that to writing on your own uh, in scrivener or anywhere else and it's all in your head and it's a different kind of wonderful and i seem to need them both so do you have any books you can recommend to our listeners? What are you reading these days? I, I had this thing that a long time ago when I was, uh, I was writing computer manuals, but the job entailed quite a long journey in the morning, and I would start a Simon Brett comedy crime novel in the morning, and I would finish it in bed at night and go on to the next one. But this means there are 15 in this series, the Charles Parrish series, and they're all blurred together now. If he brings out a new one, I don't know. Have I read it or not? So I try to separate things out, and I did that with Jane Austen, many many years ago and i came to realize i wasn't certain now which ones i hadn't read so last month i read them all um and she's fantastic i mean we mentioned pride and prejudice but northanger abbey is a scream she's so sarcastic in it i mean i've been laughing out loud trying not to wake up my wife reading that book and things and then lady susan and stuff which was brand new to me it's one of the the lesser known small ones that's part of the juvenilia i think um but yeah, Lady Susan, I almost want to be her and things like that. So yeah, brand new recommendation, Jane Austen from 200 years ago. <laughs> okay, William Gallagher, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Huge treat to talk to you. If you like the podcast, please follow it in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Scrivener, go to ScrivenerApp.com. Join us next month for another conversation on Right Now with Scrivener. <laughs>